So my friends, last week we started the series called Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes, and we're talking about how it is that we go about having an engaged life of faith that is a whole body effort. Um, so last week, of course, we were talking about the head, the brain. Today we're going to talk about the shoulders. We're talking about the physical labor that comes with life of ministry and faith. Let's pray together and we will study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us to work hard, not to find excuses, not to take it. In your name we pray, amen. So a friend of mine has six children, which makes for a grand total of eight people in her house. That's a lot of people and that's a lot of dishes. And she recently posted that her dishwasher broke down and she thought that this was the most wonderful thing because now everyone was going to have to wash their own dishes by hand. She actually admitted that she'd been hoping for this day for a very long time because she was tired of the fact that her dishwasher was always full and so was her sink of dirty dishes. So she went on to explain <clears throat> that in her house, the dishes are the responsibilities of the kids. And, and she proceeded to list the following excuses that she had received as to why the dishes were dirty all over the place. It was things like, I can't load the dishwasher because it's not my turn to unload it. That's a good one right? Somebody else didn't do what they were supposed to do, so I don't have to do what I'm supposed to do. Someone forgot to turn the dishwasher on. Someone bumped into the dishwasher and paused the cycle. Someone opened the dishwasher mid-cycle and didn't turn it back on. Someone thought that they were dirty and decided to wash them, thought, thought that they were dirty and decided to wash them again. Someone said that the dishwasher is full but we ran out of dish detergent. We have dishwasher detergent, but somebody forgot to use it before they turned on the dishwasher, right? What's really amazing about this is how adept all of us are at just hiding among the crowd to avoid having to do the work. Instead of being one out of six kids sharing the workload, most of us will spend our energy coming up with very creative reasons why we just simply can't do it at all. Today, we're going to be talking about using our shoulders as we engage our faith with our whole bodies. And as I said last week, we talked about using our heads to have a thinking faith. When we discussed having a thinking faith, we were talking about using our brains to challenge ourselves with issues of theology and practice, ethics, scripture, doctrine. There is a difference between thinking about the faith and thinking about how other people should be exercising their faith while also thinking about how you are actively choosing not to. The difference sounds something like this. The, the, the kind of thinking faith we were talking about last week sounds like, you know, I was thinking about how Jesus calls all of us to serve the least of these. That's what we were talking about last week. But the kind of thinking that sometimes we, we want to do is, you know, I, I was thinking that somebody, not me, but somebody should go visit our shut-ins. Do you see the difference 
in those two types of thinking. Today, as we talk about our shoulders, we're going to be talking about the physical work of faith, the actual moving our bodies and doing something. Because see, faith is not simply a mental exercise. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. As you look at this passage, I want you to notice that there's a lot of physical movement. Jesus went. He went to all the towns, all the villages. All seems to indicate that he went everywhere, not just to select cities. He was teaching in the synagogues. Teaching is a physical activity. Just, just ask a kindergarten teacher. But it's a weird thing, though. I don't remember Jesus ever getting a teaching certificate or a bachelor's in education. So we have someone who is not professionally certified to teach, teaching in the synagogues. Turns out that being a professional teacher is not a requirement for teaching other people about your faith. Willingness is, but not a degree. He was also proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was telling somebody, lots of somebodies, about the greatness of God. What good is it to have knowledge, to, to have faith, if you don't ever share it with anyone? That's selfish. That's like some, watching somebody fall off a boat and start drowning. You know where the life preserver is, but you don't want to say anything because you know it's not, not really your place, so you just, just let them drown. We're still in the first sentence, and, and now, now Jesus is healing every disease and sickness. He went, taught, proclaimed, healed, all in one sentence. That's exhausting physical work. That is not the work that happens when you are holed up in the back of a library or in the center of a sanctuary. This is the kind of work where you get out there and you put your back into it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's not that Jesus just went wandering randomly around town, haplessly bumping into people who needed help. He saw people. When you see people, when you, when you really see them, it becomes easier to have compassion on them. But that takes effort. That takes effort. There might be a lot of people in your line of sight every single day, but to actually see people where they are, that takes a willingness to put yourself out there. A couple months ago, the Bradenton Herald ran an article on Dorothy, and I bet that every person in this room knows exactly who Dorothy is. Dorothy is the homeless woman that you can find right down the street almost every single day. She sits in the bus shelter outside of the Walmart. She sews, she makes blankets, she would like to go to Africa one day, she says that she chooses to be homeless. She does not ask you for money and almost gets offended when you try to give her something. 
But what was most interesting about this article was that it started with how many people had contacted the Bradenton Herald to go find out about this person and to do research on her. She's not hard to find, y'all. She's not. If she's not on her bench, she's inside the Walmart. She is not hard to talk to. She's very friendly. And if all these people were so interested and so concerned about this, why did they have to call the Bradenton Herald to go research it? Just go see her. Because they thought about it, but they didn't, they didn't want to do anything about it. They thought that somebody else should do it. And maybe that's rooted in fear, which is why it's really important that Jesus saw people. Because fear fades when you can actually see people, when you see past their, their color, their smell, their home, or lack thereof. What Jesus saw were people who were harassed and helpless. He saw the least of these. The challenge, though, is if we're honest, there's a lot. There's a lot of the least of these. Last week, Pastor Sung and I had to attend a regional meeting of all the Presbyterian churches between here and Cape Coral. And the meeting starts out with this really impassioned presentation by the Fair Housing Coalition in Immokalee. If you are not familiar with Immokalee, it's, it's where a lot of the migrant farm worker community is picking the tomatoes that, that we eat. And so we sat there and we listened to the plight of these, of these farm workers in Immokalee and how the situation there is beyond deplorable something that should never be happening in a first world country. It was very, very hard to hear. And on a personal level, I get it. Because remember, that's where I started out in ministry. I started out in the migrant farm worker community in, in Ruskin and Waimama. So I've, I've been there. I've been in those homes. I've been in those fields. Certainly, this is a worthy cause. Certainly, these are the least of these. But then... Another church got up and they gave a presentation about the food challenges that are faced by senior citizens who can't afford both healthy food and medication at the same time. And they explained the work that they were doing with a low-income housing community for older adults. Certainly, these are the least of these. Well, then four other churches got up and they talked about their various areas of, of passion and concern, and, and one talked about how important it was for their church to have a nature trail in the back of the property, and another one talked about how important the arts are in, in Sarasota, and they needed to build an outdoor arts stage. And there was not a single thing that, that was talked about all day that, that didn't have some modicum of merit, some more than others. But after a while, I felt really overwhelmed by the whole thing, because it seemed to me like the needs were just everywhere. They were just everywhere, and they just kept pouring in, and it was nonstop, and, and it was just too much. It, it just, you just go into overload. Well, then it was my turn to speak, and I got up to speak about a part of our ministry here together at Kirkwood. And for the first time outside of the walls of our own church, I got to explain to a large group of people what it is like for families that have a member with special needs to be able to come to church. 
And what an unusual thing that is because it's very hard for a lot of these families to be accepted and welcomed into churches. And I talked about what it takes for, for the community to be able to embrace children and adults with, with social and neurological and physical and developmental challenges. And I told them about how we keep all of the kids in worship and we just make accommodations across the board so that everybody can all be here at the same time. I went on to explain the cost of this ministry because before you go out and launch a special needs ministry, you need to know that it is one of the very few ministries that will never, ever, ever be self-funding or self-sufficient. Truly, it is the least of these. It is a ministry of grace and compassion. What you may not know is that we're the only ones in the presbytery that do it. And at the end of my presentation, I threw it out there that if anybody was interested in learning about how to do special needs ministry, please come see me, drop me a note. 200 people in the room that day, not a single response. But that's okay. That's okay. Because this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's so much work that has to be done. So much. And that requires the physical efforts of everyone involved. And we see this play out on so many levels. On our regional level, there's no way, there's no way that we're going to be the church that is going to lead the Fair Housing Coalition in Immokalee. We're two and a half hours away. That would be really, really hard for us. We're not going to be the ones to address food insufficiency among low-income seniors. We're not going to be building a nature trail in the back of our property because that's a swamp, right? And we are certainly not going to be installing a stage for the arts in Sarasota. So it's a good thing that other churches have stepped up to take the lead on those things. None of them want to step up for special needs families. Fine, that will be our portion of the load. But how does that look on the church level? Because, because we're talking about presbytery level, you're talking about groups, full, full groups. But on the church level, what we're talking about is the individuals that make up the life of our congregation. Now, there's a lot of us, but there's also a lot of work that needs to be done. Every year, we need teachers for toddlers and teens, and most especially for adults. We need gardeners and landscapers and weed pullers and garden hose waterers. We need people that understand balance sheets and, and insurance forms. We need people that can lead a small group Bible study for adults. We need musicians and communion servers. We need people who go out into the community and share the good news. We need people to set up and take down tables and chairs. We need people to visit shut-ins and those in the hospital and then those who are working with long-term challenges. We need leaders and organizers for our community life together. We need people to give of their time to serve with our community mission partners. We need every person in the church, every single person in the church to do something, even if that something is washing the dishes. We're not all interested in the same thing. We're not all capable of the same thing, but we all can do something, and the harvest is plentiful. 
But as Jesus points out, even though the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Do you ever wonder why sometimes you keep seeing the same names over and over and over again? It's not just here in the church. It's in every organization that you'll ever belong to. It's the 80-20 rule. The 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Rather than distribute the weight of the work, the majority are more than happy to throw it onto the backs and the shoulders of a few. And that's why I want us to look at this second passage today. It comes from Ephesians 4.28. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so that they have something to share with the needy. Paul is urging followers of Christ not to be thieves. That's not a word that many of us want to use to describe ourselves, but here's the truth. If all that we do is take, and if you don't like the word take, use the word receive. If all, the, all that we do is receive, but we never contribute, then we steal. As it applies to the physical work of the church, if all we do is consume the resources of the church, but do nothing to contribute to the overall health and well-being of our life together, then we are thieves of the community of grace. And when we hide behind others so that we don't actually have to do anything, we steal in the sense that we consume the efforts and energies of others without bearing our share of the load that would allow for greater, stronger, broader ministry. When we simply speak to suggest things or, or complain without offering to be a part of the solution, we steal in light of the fact that we are pushing more onto the backs of a few rather than be willing to offer our shoulders to lighten the burden. In my friend's kitchen, the dishes keep piling up. Because though there are many hands, few are willing to put them to good use. In the kingdom of God, the harvest is neglected to rot because although there are many shoulders, only a few are willing to carry the load and they are more than happy for others to get crushed by it. So the question, brothers and sisters, comes down to this. Do you even feel just a little bit, just a little bit of weight on your shoulders when it comes to your participation in this special community of grace? If you really have a whole body faith, you will. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that all of us have seasons when we are thieves of the community of grace, when we steal and we take from others and we do nothing in return. We confess that to you. and We ask that you would take that off of us, that instead you would transform our hearts as ones who have received so much, most especially the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that in response to that, each one of us would bear just a little bit of the load so that it's lighter on all of us. In your name we pray. Amen.